name of the crop. Who the f is that guy? I'm better than you. And you know it. This is The Law. Live audio wrestling with the latest news, info, and interviews from the world of pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the best of combat sports worldwide. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. Yep. Mm-hmm. You heard it. You heard it. You heard it. This is The Law Live Audio Wrestling each and every week. Oh, man. And if you can't tell by the tone of my voice, I am uber excited. That's right. That's that's a German word uh, for excited and lots of it, because that's what we have going on here this week on Live Audio Wrestling. The law each and every week, I got to say. But first and foremost, let me bring him in. Let's talk to him. Let's see what's going on. I know that he's just as excited as I am. Little Brady Wedham. Whoa. How you doing, brother? Like Mussolini. Okay. And Kennedy. Uh-huh. What about him? It's the law with Chris and Brady. What is going on, my friend? Oh, my goodness. CM Punk is back. Conrad Thompson's here. What the heck is going on? You know what? It is a crazy, crazy episode and a crazy week, and it couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, I've always said, you know, Survivor Series could be one of the craziest things going, and we're going to get into that later on. We're going to talk Survivor Series. I mean, we have to talk Survivor Series. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, MMA and combat sports as well because there was some fantastic boxing this past weekend, plus some acquisitions of companies. And if anybody knows about that kind of stuff, it's the world of professional wrestling where companies buy up companies. Well, it's bled over into MMA, and we're going to talk about that a little bit too. And, of course, we're going to sit down and have a conversation with one the only the the pod father of wrestling podcasts <laughs> as it were right conrad thompson uh this is a dude that i've known for many many years and had a chance to finally catch up with him after many many years and uh, it's a very cool conversation so it is I'm raw it is uncut and it is fantastic yeah yeah and oh, the interview is good too Oh, oh. Well, ooh, ooh! <laughs> so, so we've had a pretty crazy week in the world of wrestling and combat sports. We have a fantastic interview set for this show. Uh, what more can we give them? Uh, I mean, poof. Do we? Do we give it to them this week? Yeah, do we'll we give them the, the sponsor. Do we do the contest as well? Oh yeah, we want to do a contest. We want to give away some free things. I mean. That's how cool we're feeling on the heels of Survivor Series. All right. Well, let's toss it off to a sponsor. And when we get back, let's talk about how we're going to give away some stuff. Okay. (laughs) All right. Here we go. scorecards.com canada's number one stop for wwe aew ufc nhl nba and nfl hobby boxes 
Total Sport Cards always delivers the most sought-after products with the best price points in the market that you can find. Keep your collection up to date with TotalSportCards.com. TotalSportCards.com, proud sponsor of Sunday night's main event. And we're back and I've been laughing the entire time through that break because this is how excited we are. We're, we're so damn happy about all of this stuff that, uh, listen, we don't even care. You don't care. We don't care. We're just here to have a good time. And it's going to be for a long time. Sir, I had a great time last night and I had a great time this weekend. And let's start it off by talking about our new merch. Our law sweaters and t-shirts are here they are available now. So how can we give away a few of them? Well, I mean, it only goes, we should find out from the, I mean, what do you, what do you even call yourselves out there? The, uh, the law abiding citizens? Are they law abiding citizens? I feel like they might be Wait a second. citizens. I think we need to run a contest on SMNE Radio at facebook.com slash SMNE Radio or Sunday night's main event, wherever you want to find it. And I think we should do a contest where they name themselves. Whoever comes up with what we think is the best name. Let's say the top three will vote on them inside of SMNE Radio. Whatever they want to name themselves, whoever comes up with the best name will win a t-shirt and sweater package of their size choice. And Does we that can't sound go, good? We can't go with like, yeah, oh, it's fantastic. I think that's what we, we should do. And we can't go with, you know, the obvious, like the nation or the universe or, no. you know what I mean? Any of those types of suggestions. I, I think it's more like, you know, actually, and, and pe- pests is pest has already been done. Can we go well. with the nation just so I can use the opening for every segment? We all the no- <laughs> That is a great soundbite. I mean, it would be very cool. Right? Okay, well, so creativity is a must here. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. And it has to be able to be put on a shirt because we'll do that too. Oh. I'm All right. So run it through people. But. Go to facebook.com slash SMNE radio. Yeah. We're going to start a thread that says uh, the law live audio wrestling t-shirt sweater contest. And basically, just name yourselves. Call. What, what are we? Can we throw some more names out? So you're right. Pests are taken. Uh, mm-hmm. Trolls are taken. We don't want those kind of negative names. We want to. No. We want a law-abiding citizen. Something yeah, like, like that. Like a top G. Like a no. <laughs> top G's. Top G's. All right. So they're. <laughs> let's just call them top G's for now. So all my top G's out there, send in your contest. Uh, so your your. I don't know. What do you want to call them? I don't even know what to call it. Sub, your submissions? No, because the su- oh. submissions is too close to home with what we're about to talk about. Speaking of submissions, <laughs> MMA yeah. news. We have things like Dan Hooker has pulled out of his fight with Bobby Green. Yeah. We have a boxing event that just happened. We've got a massive lineup for UFC pay-per-views or PLEs or whatever you want to call them now. Uh, coming up all the way to April of two, UFC 300. Chris, take it away. Tell me about what's going on in this combat sports world this week. 
you know what? It's been absolutely crazy. It's been bonkers. The first and foremost, and the biggest news, I mean, this is something that we saw coming down the pipe a little bit earlier on, but it looks like it's official now. PFL has purchased Bellator. Here's the crazy part, though, dude. They purchased Bellator for less than $100 million straight-up stocks. No cash apparently changed hands. Really? So Viacom, I think, just was like a – this was a fire sale. Uh, in my opinion, it had to be like for them, for them to get up and out of this thing, you know, or maybe this has something to do with the, for all we know, this could have something to do with the writer strike down the road. Viacom has to free up some money now because they got to pay some people back now that we're back into business. And the first thing you dump is the thing that you're not familiar with the thing that you don't know. So it looks like PFL is, you know, here's the thing that I don't like about this is they're looking at themselves now is, Oh, we've bought this so we can create what is going to be like the co coolest thing. They keep referring to themselves as like the co top of the heap in the in the mma world well that's kind of a defeatist attitude if you ask me if you have the guy it really is in in francis and ganu you go after you go after all of this right you go after the ufc and you make it look like now we've purchased bellator as well now we're on that level now we're bigger than the ufc now yep. no, nobody's gonna believe it because well, i mean the ufc still has the top fighters so to speak. So who's right? bigger in your opinion, PFL or one? Uh, I mean, as far as like, what are we talking about? Are we talking about an international? I'm um, talking about just on reach? a, like on a, yeah, on a reach scale. So internationally, international like global, one. global one, one championship. Yeah. And if anybody that doesn't know what one championship is, do yourselves a favor and go check out everything that they put on because one championship is like the UFC, but on a more global, it's like the FIFA of UFC, if that makes it's, sense. It's crazy. And here's the thing that I like about it is that you can see a kickboxing, a straight up Muay Thai kickboxing match. Then yep. you can see a straight up grappling match. And then you can see a straight up MMA fight all the, and, and dudes that are and ladies that are just willing to give her. Yes. And it's a smaller weight class fight, but I think that internationally, I think that one is a bigger company, um, but we don't know that because we're force fed the North American stuff, which is going to be PFL and which is going to be um, Bellator and UFC. Now, PFL has just got an influx of a whole lot of uh, Saudi money. So that's where they're getting all of this from to be able to do this. So I'm excited to see what's happening. Bellator is still going to run events. There may be the possibility of doing crossover fights between uh, the two promotions, but they will not be for belts. They'll just be for bragging rights, you know, but it'll still be very cool to see some of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. Um, Outside of that, it looks like uh, Azamat Mirzakhanov, is out of his fight against Khalil Roundtree at UFC Austin and stepping in is going to be one Anthony Smith. That's right. Wow. Lionheart is getting back after it. And against a dude like Khalil Roundtree, dude, you do not want to, you have to mind your P's and Q's in that fight because Khalil is on a terror lately. Yeah. So Anthony Smith is, has actually been on kind of a downswing over yeah. his uh his past few fights in his career. So this should be really interesting to see. Is this a gatekeeper or is this like a, a torch passing? You know we'll what? See. It's it's two dudes that have been around for half a minute as well. So it's yeah. very interesting to see which happens, uh, which one goes up and which one goes down in this situation. And as you said earlier on, Bobby Green looking Bobby. for an opponent because Dan Hooker is pulled out. 
Now, you told me before we started recording that they found him an opponent. Chris, drop this on me. I don't know who it is yet. Well, if anybody knows the song by The Who uh, about Boris the Spider and what kind of spider Boris was, that's right. He was a tarantula. Oh, talking about Jaylen Jaylen Turner. Turner what? Stepping in for Dan Hooker. What? To fight Bobby Green. I am so stoked about this fight oh right God. here. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. What? That's what's going down, Brady. Dude, can you believe that? Jalen Turner is stepping in for the Bobby Green fight. This might be my favorite fight of the year they've made. It's unbelievable. Uh, no, are you? Okay, dude, are yeah. you? Whoa, I can't wait till next week. Yeah, that's going to be one hell of a fight. If anyone now, can hear that, I apologize. I'm punching my hand because I don't know what else to do with that. <laughs> now, very quickly, I want to talk about yeah. this because we did see some fantastic boxing, some PBC boxing. This yeah, tell me weekend. about this, please. David Benavidez, six foot three, 168 pound. He is the interim champion right now. Everybody yep. knows that Canelo Alvarez is the champion right now at super middleweight. Um, and the way that he handled Demetrius Andrade is unbelievable. Benavides put him out in the sixth round, dude. Now, oh, it was sixth round. I didn't see. I haven't seen anything yet. I'm uh, I'm up north currently in my cottage, so I He's haven't been checking the internet. Twenty eight fights now, or twenty nine fights now. Twenty four of them, twenty five of them by KO. Unbelievable the tear that this kid is on. Let's Six go. foot three as the interim champion. Now you ask yourself, who should he be fighting next? Canelo. Absolutely, he should be fighting Canelo next. Yeah. Five foot eight Canelo Alvarez. Yeah. This would definitely be the biggest challenge outside of uh Bivol when Canelo went up to um light heavyweight to try to make that fight. And look what happened. He lost only Canelo's second loss. He has one draw against triple G, which a lot of people would say triple G one. He That's has, a and, 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 and he has, he has a loss against uh Bivol who he stepped up in weight against. Yep. And his only other loss comes all the way back in what, like 2013 or something like that. And against Floyd earlier. Medweather. Yeah, Floyd yeah, Mayweather Jr., who who Floyd fought him when he wasn't, he was still up and coming. So since then, Canelo, Canelo's been the man. We're talking over 60 fights, dude. I know that Canelo has had. It's I absolutely know. insane, right? Well, I'd rather see him fight. fight. I'd rather see him fight Benavidez than Jake Paul. Yeah. One, the mean, last thing on. you ever want to see is Jake Paul land a lucky shot on Canelo, and we'll never People will be throwing themselves off the top of buildings. Come on. Jake Paul's too big for that. You see, he can't make that weight. He can't make that weight. Yeah, like, I think he could. Uh, dude. I think a couple he, cycles off, he'd he make would, that weight real quick. He would look like he would look like when Connor was trying to fight at 135. Oh my goodness. That's me on the <laughs> that's me regularly. That's, that's me walk. That's my walking around weight. Is Connor trying to make yeah. 135? Yeah, yeah, he'd look like he just <laughs> stepped off a train someplace. It well, we got not good. So one real quick before we we have to go to a break here. Yes. Uh, so UFC 300 is on its way now. It is a couple months away. I know I'm looking so far into the future. I'm not trying yeah. to look past any of the fights that are currently on the lineup because we no. it we know it's a jacked up uh, winter coming. What do you think they're going to do when you look at all of the champions besides John Jones are pretty much booked up on events leading up to this. What do you think happens for UFC 300? You want to make it a, a four-month prediction? Well, I still don't believe that Connor will not 
be on UFC 300. I agree. I believe that he will be on that. And yep. I believe that they're still trying to work stuff out because, you know, the magic man can now work his magic after uh, January when the testing pool becomes more like a wellness policy uh, for the UFC. And who knows, John Jones may very well be ready. Cause if we're talking, you have to have some kind of championship fight on there. Okay. And Amanda Nunes is not coming back to fight on UFC 300, nor would it matter. No. Uh, Shevchenko is not fighting on UFC 300 to sell that stuff. Brock Lesnar is not coming over to UFC 300 to fight at UFC 300, and nor would it matter. You don't think Lesnar's coming over? I actually think Lesnar is going. Well, you actually, I, that, that's what I was going to say. I think they're going to rely on Connor and Lesnar, and they're going to put whatever championship they can they can get available. Okay, so you put you put Lesnar in there with who? Anyone? At heavyweight. At anyone? Heavyweight. Who? Derek anyone Lewis? old now? Anyone? No, you could bring in Todd Duffy. It doesn't fucking matter. You Ugh. can bring in anybody, dude. It's no. just the fight. No, UFC 300, you know as well as I do, has to be something a little bit more special, and they're not going to reach out of the realm of, of paying that much of an overload. If they're going to pay that much of an overload in money for a heavyweight oh, fight, I, it's going to be John Jones. I didn't even. I don't know why we didn't think about it. You know who it's going to be. Like Mussolini and Kennedy. Okay. He can't show up everywhere. It's the law with Chris and Brady. All right. That's enough right. of that. That's Time enough of that right now. Yeah. Let's uh let's let somebody <laughs> with a much with a much uh more angelic voice sell their goods. And then when we come back, yeah, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about some survivor series. Yes. Uh glue yourself to that seat, Brady. I need you focused here. Okay, all right, all, all right. right, you ready? Shouts out to right. podstars.net. Quick shout out to everybody, and then uh, we're going to take this break. We'll be right back. This is The Law on Live Audio Wrestling. Hey, Santa. Yes, my elf. I have a real particular list from an older kid from Hamilton. Well, I'm sure we can help a Hamiltonian. They like a three-day party, oh. one that stokes out the headbangers, mm. the punks, the hippies, oh, the hip-hop heads, yeah. the drag queens, and they want pictures with sexy Santa. Ho, ho, ho. Sexy pictures with me. No. They specifically said, not you. Give them passes to Past Presents Future, December 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Corktown in Hamilton. Fanatickets.com. Take two and pass, so the blunt will last. Blunt, blunt, passing, music blasting, music blasting. Yeah. No. I got the blunt, blunt, passing, music blasting, music blasting. But I just can't quit. Roll up the next one and roll up the next one and roll up the next one. Because I just can't quit. I got the music. And we are back on the law, live audio wrestling. And last night, Survivor Series took place. WWE putting on their Thanksgiving-ish pay-per-view, PLE, whatever you want to call it, live event, Chicago. It was very, very cold. But by the end of the night, it warmed up after a fantastic event, and we are going to talk about it here on The Law, live audio wrestling. Chris, I know you watch Survivor Series. You don't watch all of the pay-per-views. I was surprised this morning when you told me all the good news about how you watched it, you enjoyed it. What do you think? Um, listen, yeah, it is no secret because there's just so much content, uh, going on out there, uh, in the, in the fight and fight entertainment business that I, I'd be remiss if I were to tell you that I was able to 
maintain all of that stuff, watch all of that stuff and still be married. Uh, it's just not something that you can do together. It seems like <laughs> I didn't expect that. Right. You are correct though. You are. I, I would be lying if I didn't talk to my wife this morning. And I said, CM Bunk returned to WWE last and night. She was she was like, like, Is that the guy that got fired? I was like, Yeah, that's the yeah, guy that got fired. Yeah. Way to way to way to piss on my parade there, honey. Thanks, baby. All right. <laughs> I sent her the link and she just sent me a message back. Dot dot dot. That's crazy. I was like, she didn't even watch it. Not even a nope. bit. Nope. Not even a bit. You could have sent her a cooking clip. You I was excited. I mean? You could have sent her, you could have sent her somebody making quiche for all she cares in audio Look, form, and she wouldn't have even cared. I may not be a CM Punk guy. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I may not sure. be like the the ultimate CM Punk guy. But I'm a CM Punk guy, if that makes any sense. But it's from a principal standpoint, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I was really excited last night. I'm still I'm still excited. All right. Well, listen. From top to bottom, there was only X amount of matches. This wasn't an overloaded card. I, I've seen. You know, there's more matches on some indie shows that you've seen. Yes. Right. But yes. this was War Games. This was inside of a cage and this was, you know, this is a big show and it was a big show because it, it, it finished super big. It finished super big with brand new implications heading into that, you know, WrestleMania, uh, uh, the road to WrestleMania, so to speak. Right. So starting it, you had the girls in a war games match coming out there and listen, Oh, it scares Impressive me every stuff. time. It scares me every single time I see these performers inside of these structures trying to up the ante, so to speak, every single time. Now, yeah, these girls came to play. There is no doubt about it. It's good. A couple of little hiccups here and there, but that's to be expected. Here's the thing you have to remember. We're talking about eight people inside of uh, inside of two rings at this thing. Right. That's a lot. That's a a a lot lot of bodies. That's a lot of traffic to navigate first and foremost, let alone the stuff, the spots that they're trying to remember and get to and make sure that they're positioning. And sometimes there just isn't enough time to do as many run throughs that you would think. So Mm -hmm. you have to rely on your own abilities. And these girls did great. Well, well, think of how many times we rolled up to a show because we used to ride together and I would either I would usually be your handpicked referee. So we would go into a show and we'd always show up to a locker room and we'd look at the list what the promoter wanted that night. And I would look at you and you would look at me and we'd look at everyone involved and we would call these matches the proverbial clusterfuck. That's the name for it. I know I'm, I'm sorry to all of the listeners who have sensitive ears, but that's what we call it. We call it, 100%. oh, this is going to be a clusterfuck tonight. Sounds yep. good. Let's make sense out of it. They made yep. sense out of it last night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all of the girls looked fantastic. Top Everybody looked talent. strong. There was no doubt about it. And it was a hell of a way, you know, to be able to try to like to, to bookend uh, this event. Right. So to speak. Um, you know what it was missing? It was only missing one thing. Tony Storm. Well, OK, I mean, She's not in the company, um, but, you know, right. it was missing Tony Storm. <laughs> here's here's the thing could you imagine trying to go back and forth to that black and white shot and that color shot every time you went to a tony storm spot inside of a war game this is why i like the tony storm thing i love how it's just a massive andy kaufman troll and we know who's behind it and that's what makes it even better (laughs) yeah so good so yes so so the women they they had one of the 
probably the best women's war games match you're going to see. I don't think you can get much better than that. Eel Sky is the craziest person on the roster. Uh, getting up onto the top of the cage and taking a trash can and putting yeah. it over top of herself as she's balancing, not on the corner. We're talking in the middle of the cage. Like, what the hell? Yeah. And she landed. It was the most safe. Yeah. It was. It, I. I. It, Listen. That could have went so thing. wrong. That could have went looked, so wrong. I was expecting it to. And here's the thing that I wasn't expecting to happen in that match very quickly um, was was the the moonsault from Charlotte Flair from mm. the top where she over rotates and literally sits on one of the girl's heads. It looked like I was like, like, literally, I was like, ah, as it happened. <laughs> what were you like? Uh, you heard it. Rewind yeah, not, it. Yeah, clip don't it. Do that again. Go ahead. <laughs> but I, it was. There's always going scary. to be that that scary moment uh, that I always feel for other performers inside of the ring because I know what they're going through. One hundred percent. And and this is what I say to a lot of people that are working on the indie level: stop trying to think that you can do those things on the indie level. Please stop trying to do those things. Here's the thing that you don't remember: try to look at it this way. Try to look at it this way: like you are a college football player and you are not going to be able to hang and do what the NFLers do yet because they have much better tools much better tricks of the trade much better preparation to get them to do that kind of stuff so when they say don't do this at home don't do this at home don't do this in bingo halls that stuff is reserved yeah. for arenas in front of 17 well, 18 000 people and you know as well as i do save your body they know they'll be able to tell by the way that Ugly. you run the ropes that what you can and can't do that yeah. you don't even know yet they, yeah. there's people that are experts in watching your body chemistry to know what you can and can't do when you get to that level, save your body. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to need it because these things it. are going to come up. Right. So, so moving we, on from that, we can't go through every single match, no. but can I just say Gunther? Wow. Well, Looked great. Miz is a stud of he studs inside of now. that he business, is, man. He is, he, he is an absolute workhorse of yep. a human. Like, unbelievable what those two went out there and, and were able to do. Uh, perfect for the spot that they were into. So Absolutely. I know, I've heard story. from guys in, that have been in there with Miz. They do say... If they see themselves versus Miz that night, they know it's going to be a good night because everything's going to go smooth. It's going to be a nice night. He's going to he's going to do his job perfectly, and you really don't have to do much. You kind of got a night off with Miz. I yeah. get it after last night. He made Gunther look stronger than Gunther looked before he walked in there, and that's almost impossible. So kudos to Miz. Kudos to Gunther. Watch that match if you haven't. It's a quick one, but it is worth the watch. Absolutely. Now, fast forward. Let's talk about Let's this go. main event. Let's well, we can talk about Badunka Dunk later, right? You well, got a theory on Badunka Dunk on on Rhea Ripley's match? Listen, okay, yeah. okay, so I'll you mention knew exactly it right what now. I was saying right now, you knew absolutely. What is your theory on this? Uh, I don't think that it's real. You don't think? I think I haven't paid attention enough to know oh. the difference. Well, I think that there may be a little bit of enhancement going on there. Hmm. Um, I don't think that she's doing that many squats. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll and leave you know it what? up to the, I'll leave okay it up to the listeners. It. And I don't Absolutely. know what to call you because we haven't finished the contest yet. So yes. you, fig, figure it out and we'll we'll leave it up to you. The Lawsoners. The lo Ooh, the Lawsoners. You're taking their stuff. 
Well, I'm just trying the to lozenges. Get them, uh, I'm just trying to get yes because they feel good in your throat. Well, no, because I'm looking at snow oh. coming down, and I'm going to need one in a minute. <laughs> oh my goodness, the snow's coming in. We got to finish this real soon. Okay, yeah, so no, moving listen, on to the main that match. No, no, no. Let's talk about let's okay, talk about let's the talk Rhea Ripley it. match because right. it was a fantastic match, and Rhea Ripley still to this like she she is a star amongst stars inside of that business. There's no doubt about it. Like yep. she knows exactly what she's doing out there. And it's a, it's a pleasure to see her uh, grow from where she was, where she started in the company and what she's able to do now. It's unbelievably She's good. top 10 in the company for sure. From the look that they give her from the way that she's able to perform to the way that she sells is top notch top tier shit right yeah, there. Yeah, no, she, she is top 10 in the entire she may be top 10 in the entire industry but I will say top 10 in, in WWE and it's not just right now I mean like as a talent list Yeah, she would be in my top if I was to pick she, 10 people and I was starting a company she would be there for sure. She's a future Hall of Famer for sure 1, they know what they've got and they know that they're not going to let her go for a long 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 time. Uh, now that been said let's talk about it let's talk about let's this. Let's go oh okay Main event time, and of course, it's war games. And of course, you've got the, you know, everybody is wondering, where's Randy Orton? Where is Randy going to be? You know, you knew you knew he was going to show up and whatnot, right? You mean Rhino Orton? Do you see the size (laughs) of him? Listen, everybody, everybody might have had a little bit of extra turkey dinner. Uh, Okay. Uh huh. (laughs) Maybe a little bit too much stuffing. Maybe this is this is bulking season. Okay, because we are going into those cold months. These bears need to have their thickness. All right. Call those. uh, (laughs) They came from the signature uh, signature farmer's market. Dude, these guys all looked great. Everybody really good. Right. Um, But the match was set up in such a way that, you know, the the obviously Randy coming in last. Mm -hmm. Right. Perfect. Couldn't have gone any better. I think that, you know, the, what's his name? J.D. McDonough. He's J.D. Yeah. J.D. Okay. J.D. Uh, clearly the, Irish lad. Clearly the, the weak man out, so to speak, in this, mm-hmm. in this spectacle of stars. You know what I mean? There's no doubt about it. Uh, the, the run in, the run in trying to cash in the briefcase. Brilliant. It was brilliant because you so thought it was well- going to happen and everyone there thought it was going to happen. It was a great distraction. It was a Very. great sleight of hand by the WWE where they were like, oh, here, here comes. Nope. Wait, shit. That's real. What's oh, are you kidding me? And she's coming out with the briefcase and she tries to catch it. So everybody's looking over here. Everybody's paying attention to the right hand. And all of a sudden zip sliding in was the music. And here comes out the left hand. The Viper, Randy Orton. Yes, sir. RKO himself. And he did not disappoint beautifully done he beautifully looks, done not only does he look great he looks like he hasn't lost a step his timing was fantastic throughout the into like he that was the pop of the night definitely well uh, at that point it was to that point and then that and then that's that that cutter that he gave to jd from the top it took a long time to set up and i'm glad it did because it was extremely it needed to be Perfect. 
Yes. And it was, was. absolutely flawless. If you How? haven't like go back and watch this time and time again, Chris, you've so given wonderful. a thousand cutters in your life or yeah. taken a thousand vice versa, either, or all of the above. Yeah. How can you, from, from a worker's perspective, how hard is it to hit timing exactly like that? And explain to me why Randy Orton is the best at it. Hit, okay. Uh, the the first part of it is it's probably one of the, especially a flying cutter like that would be one of the most entrusting things that you can do with the person that you're in there in that ring. Mm -hmm. uh, because it, at the end of the day, if it gets screwed up or they hook your neck or they don't have proper positioning, you can really, really get hurt. The There's nose is no one of the most, the easiest thing to damage oh. in a in a flat face cutter. It's one of Listen. the most common injuries with that. Listen, I used to do a flying headbutt off the top for a finish. Yep. And I used to smash my nose more times than not. I would finish that whole thing off with a bloody nose some way, shape or form. I mean, it also helps that I have, you know, the, a, a nose the size of an actual life-size Trojan horse. So it, <laughs> I got know, a pretty it's going to well. get hit. Yeah. So, I mean, I get all of that. But if somebody's taking that, you absolutely have complete trust. And here's the second part of that. Why is Randy Orton so good at it? His eyes are impeccable his knowing exactly where he is if you notice when he before he took that he actually calls it he's like right here is where he tells the referee kind of get out of the way and he calls for the spot and he perfect. says he points to it right here this is exactly where i need you to be so that we can hit this perfectly he's so good at what he does and it's unbelievable the the ring generalship that he has because if you look at it if you look at it from as soon as he stepped into that ring, the vibe changed. Oh, yeah. the, uh, everybody knew what they were supposed to do. And Damian Priest was doing a very good job of dictating where everybody had to go. And everybody was remembering the spots. But there always has to be that general. But as soon as as soon as the top dog, Randy Orton, stepped into that ring, it was like, it's your house now. What are we doing, sir? And Absolutely. At timing, it, what if you if you weren't paying attention to the timing and you were all wrapped up in the emotions, I totally get it because it was very emotional yeah. the second Randy Orton ran in there. Watch it back and look exactly what Chris is saying here. The second Randy gets in there, the whole pacing of this match is completely different. Right? It, it, it goes away from a spot fest and turns into beautiful storytelling. I love the finish. Everybody did. Seth Rollins is out of the ring. He's he's giving the finger to people and he's screaming and he's basically giving shit to the entire team. And hmm. well, let's also talk about this first because we know what the big pop is. We know what the big news is, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Here's mm -hmm. the under here's the story that I like coming out of this is for everybody else inside of that ring. What do you do with them? What happens to Judgment Day after this? Because the person who took the finish was Damian Priest from Cody Rhodes. Yes. With 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 mommy sitting on the outside watching this entire thing. Right. And we know that there's been a little bit of heat here. So you've got that story that they played out perfectly in this whole thing. You've got JD, who's the odd man out. You know what I mean? Who could take the heat for the entire thing? You've got, you've got um, conflicted Drew, conflicted with, Drew the whole conflicted time, conflicted Drew inside yep. of the, the entire thing. Like the storytelling so is great. Storytelling is fantastic out of that. Now the bigger story, obviously, if we're talking about it, is that after all of this happened, and the and the crowd was happy, 
The crowd was hot oh, they and were they going were home. happy. No they were problem. Right. That finish happened and everybody was like, fantastic. Trademark comes a, up. And then all of a sudden you hear the music hit. I, at this point, could have turned my TV all the way to mute. And I am eight and a half hours away by car at a very fast pace. And I could have still heard the pop that that place erupted with. Dude, I'm 12 hours up north from any major city. And I heard it. I will be surprised if that didn't register on the Richter scale. I think it broke it. How loud that pop was. Okay. Hands down, probably top three loudest pops of all time. I think Stone Cold coming back in that small arena for that taping when Mankind won the belt. That was a big one. Um, we have Cody coming back at WrestleMania. Uh, that was a big one. This is this is both of them combined. Yeah, this was an out outstanding pop. It's insane. It's insane. I what do they do with them? That, well, here's the question. Because if you want to know, you're going to have to tune in. You are. You're going to have to tune in. Now, the obvious the obvious answer is, you know, everybody's going to say Seth Rollins because Seth, you know, with the flipping off of people out there and and the, and the narrative has been set. And here's what I'm going to say about that. It's great business. It's great business. And if, you, and if you think for one second, if you're going to try to tell me for one second that everybody didn't know about this and that all of you that are reporting out here that this was done on the fly and 45 minutes before is when he showed up and five minutes before this. And if you're believing that I love the wrestling business, then they've got you. And that's what this is all about. So we're fantastic. Wherever the truth lies, here's where I think that this was, it doesn't matter how many people knew, how many people didn't know there was people in the know and the people in the know, this was the plan the whole time from the second something was said, like I had to fear for my life. Yep. That was it. That yep. was it. This man got himself in better shape than he's been since he was the world champion in this company. And we're talking, this is years and years since he's been there. We're not talking mm-hmm. about him, the indie darlings or any of us who are huge fans that watch nine this. years. Yeah. It's all, yeah. Since the rock fiasco and all that, when, when he, when he bounced and the lawsuits and everything that, that went through and, and the AEW stuff and the coming back to AEW, when you thought he was gone, the fights, the, the bad news that he is all of yeah. this negativity, somebody knew he came in in shape. I know that nobody, especially in a company like this, they're not going to invest in somebody if they're accident prone, but I don't right. think they're ever going to put him in a position where he's ever really going to have to be in that situation again. I think this man came back to do his last run properly. I think this was always the plan, even before the AEW stuff. I think he was always going to end him. He was going to end his run in this company. I'm glad to see him back. The white T-shirt was symbolism to me. I think people think that that makes it look like, oh, this was so last minute, and they hid him under, you know what I mean? They brought him in the building, and nobody knew. No, no. The white T-shirt is a symbolism that I'm here. I'm coming peaceful. You think he's carried that was his flag? 1000%. He is too smart. He that guy is way too smart and too intricate on everything that he does. He is so into the cryptic thing, so why wouldn't he give a sign of peace and come out? That's what that is to me. That was a white t-shirt, that was his flag. I'm here to do business. Let's sell some t-shirts. Give me a good run. Let's get to WrestleMania. Everybody's about to make a lot of money and 
the guy who confided in me for years, who told me his whole life story, who I sat beside at these press conferences a couple of months ago and a year ago and two years ago, said that he feared for his life because I got into a tussle with one of the boys in front of him. All right, let's go. This is exactly like Mussolini. Wow. With Chris and Brady. Let's go. Wow. So, okay. So listen, That's my whether it's whether it's white T-shirts or it's tinfoil hats. <laughs> you're... <laughs> you're the best, man. I love you. This, dude, is, so much. this is what we do here. <laughs> I love you so much. Well, okay. Before we go to a break and we come back to the interview yeah. of the week, can we what? We have to preface because now it's just a thing we do. We preface these interviews. Preface? Let's, well, preface or preface the tomato, tomato, the potato, potato. Um, I was very excited to see that this uh, was a, was on the show this week. I know that this is a longtime friend of yours, a longtime friend of the wrestling community. One of the smartest interviews from a, one of the most brilliant men. I'm not trying to put him over. This is what I genuinely, I genuinely believe. And, uh, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, I was very excited for this chance to talk. Listen, it's no secret. We have been, I've been trying to put this together for some time. Um, and he is the hardest working man in the room, even if it's just him in the room. There's no doubt about it. He's always going. And it was, we finally were able, and it wasn't even for like, listen, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit here. Let's do it it wasn't even for the lack of like last minute theatrics to make sure that this thing happened because it was supposed to happen at one time and, and things, you know, surprises happen and just, we were ready to go and then not ready to go and then rescheduling and rebooking and rescheduling and rebooking. And then finally, finally, we get finally. a chance to uh, get in there and get this talk happening. And I couldn't be more happy with the way that it went. Um, I'm talking about Conrad Thompson. I'm talking about the man himself who has etched himself into the professional wrestling business with such grace, I might say. You know, as much as people, anybody who bitches about Conrad uh, is a hater. Now, I can understand how you can bitch about some people because of their opinions, mm -hmm. like I do myself, like the... Dave Meltzer's of the world, like the Brian Alvarez's of the world, like yep. the Wade Keller's of the world, like, you know, the us, much nicks, the much like nicks, us. us, like us. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I can understand all of that. The stuff, only one who doesn't what, get it is after. Well, I mean, because he he's is, Bill. We love he's him. Bill and he's a great photographer. Mm -hmm. um, but Conrad has, <laughs> Conrad has, has etched himself in, in such a way. <laughs> that he he tells stories he gives people the opportunity to tell their stories and that's what everybody's after so the fact that we got to sit down with him and have him tell his story was really what i was going for so we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna pay those bills sit down sit back uh buckle in this is a fantastic conversation that i had with one mr conrad thompson right here on The Law Live Audio Wrestling. We'll be right back after this. Hello, special friends. 
you can catch Greg and Brad, your smack daddies, each weekend on the SNME Radio Network. We cover our lives, what's happening on the East Coast, and eventually cover SmackDown. Check us out each week at SundayNightsMainEvent.com. Please subscribe to get your Smack Daddies and the rest of the SNME Radio Network content directly to your podcatcher for less than a dollar a week. We the ones! We are back on The Law Live Audio Wrestling, and it's time now for me to introduce a man who, quite frankly, is known as the podfather of all wrestling podcasts because, I mean, listen, this is the only guy that I know who probably does more of these damn podcasts than even me. It's a little (laughs) silly, and this is a guy who, listen, I haven't talked to this guy in a long time, but let me just bring him in. Conrad Thompson, the man. How are you doing today, Conrad? I'm great, man. How are you? Long time no see. Absolutely. So I want to get into this right away because here's the biggest question. How does a 15-year-old kid from Alabama go from calling into radio shows like this when it first started, like live audio wrestling, right, Mm -hmm. Um, to becoming one of the biggest names in all of professional wrestling podcasting take me through this how did this take place total accident man i uh eventually sort of put away my wrestling fandom and and doubled down on my professional career in the mortgage business and uh, through that started advertising my company on radio and television and just got familiar with doing live television and live radio and got comfortable with that and eventually i uh, met rick flair at a uh, meet and greet and, uh, he had just lost his, uh, son Reed to an overdose back in 2013. And we just hit it off and he was looking for a friend and he was probably drinking too much. And, uh, I was in what? party mode in my life and, and, <laughs> and anytime he wanted to hang out, I was there. So he'd come over and watch the draft or I'd go over and we'd watch the playoffs and we just became friends. So when he had some waiting for wishes event, uh, like a celebrity waiter type event at the Palm in Nashville, right off Broadway. Uh, I went up and hung out and we had a great time and actually met little Richard. He lived in the Hilton next door. It was really surreal, but through the course of that trip, he asked, Hey, what's a podcast? How do you make money with a podcast? And I said, well, that's pretty random. Didn't expect you to ask that. Where does that come from? And he had an offer from CBS. So his agent at the time negotiated it. They worked it out and, uh, he got kind of nervous when it came time to actually do the show. He said, it would just be weird for me to just talk to a microphone. Do you think you could come in and, and just let me bounce stuff off of you and just ask me fan questions and we'll have a, a guest and we'll have Harley race on. And I go, yeah, hell yeah, absolutely. So he, uh, at the time, didn't really understand the way podcasting worked. And he wanted me to actually come over to Atlanta. I'm in North Alabama and Huntsville. And I said, no problem. So, uh, it's a 28 minute flight. Uh, so bang 30 minutes. I'm there. We knock it out. And, uh, afterwards at the end of it, the CBS folks were like, Hey, that was pretty good. Can you come back next week? And so I became an accidental podcaster, but that was not the original plan. It was just, Hey man, I'm creating content with Ric Flair. This is kind of fun. And I'm getting to talk to some legends and a few weeks in it clicked for me, man, I'm spending an arm and a leg advertising my mortgage company, just in Alabama and Tennessee, but folks all over the country can hear what I'm doing with Rick. 
And it was a light bulb moment. Like, Hey, instead of me writing a check to have a radio station, DJ lend me their credibility, I can just create my own. And that's what we did. So, uh, when the CBS contract was complete, we started a, uh, our, our own show and, and it was sort of independent and we were having fun with that. And around that same time, I had become friends with Bruce Pritchard because I met Bruce through interviewing Rick on the show. And, um, we got to hang out and I, cause I brought him in to, to help me shoot a production, uh, to shoot a commercial. We were doing like a recruiting campaign to expand our mortgage company because now I was looking for the opportunity to not just be in Alabama and Tennessee, but more states. So we grew it to like 46 states. So that means we're going to need more people. So I thought, Hey, this guy knows how to do commercials and stuff. And it would be outside of the box from what a local television company might be able to help me with production wise. So I had Bruce over to the house and uh, we worked together for several weeks off and on. And then one day, uh, I said, Hey man, what happened when the radicals jumped from WCW to the WWF and he turned in his chair on my couch in the living room here. And we just talked for like an hour. And at the end of that story, I said, dude, that was a podcast. We should have recorded that. And I had to convince him that no, this could be a podcast because at the time, you know, he had done a podcast before, but never made any money with it. And, and it became, it was almost a circuit. Oh, Al Snow's got a new book. He's going to be on stone cold's podcast and JR's podcast and Chris Jericho's podcast. And by and large, tell mostly the same stories and then plug the book and then he's out of there. But as a consumer of those podcasts, I would say, I kind of just heard Al's story last week. I don't know that I want to hear it again this week. So I said, Hey, Bruce, let's move away from the guest format. Let's just do what we just did on the couch, just a conversation about a singular topic. So eventually I convinced him and the idea was he had just started a pro wrestling tea store and didn't think anybody would ever buy a brother love shirt. And I said, dude, this will be a way for you to sell some t-shirts and I'll sell some mortgages. And it just blew up. So when it blew up, you know, we started to learn more about the podcast business and how it worked and the do's and don'ts. And we were just on that train, but behind the scenes, I was expanding my licensing to get in all these other States on the mortgage side. And so before I knew it, I just really realized, Hey man, I'm onto something here. But when I advertised on the radio, I didn't just advertise one day a week. I advertised five days a week. So how do right. I come up with a whole network of these podcasts to recreate what I was doing on radio and television without having to write a check and actually getting a check. So slowly, but surely we built it. And now here we are, but it was a total accident. I didn't think I would ever do anything in the wrestling space. I mean, I didn't even watch wrestling for a long time. I just sort of, uh, you know, I really get singularly focused on one thing in my life and that, but that's what makes me successful. I think is I just sort of block out everything else. And so I just did that with mortgages and, and didn't really do anything with it. And then I bought a Ric Flair robe and before I knew it, <laughs> it was on Twitter. I mean, not Twitter, but eBay. And I was like, man, this is awesome. But how the hell do I display it? And, uh, then once I started to think about where am I going to put this in my house and how will I, because I mean, it's kind of cool to own, but then what do you do with it? Once you have it, like the right? chase was the fun. Yeah. I really think about that. So then I started to say, okay, I want to display it with an old NWA world title. So I did that with Dave Milliken. And then I saw on his website a few days later, he had the original Ric Flair nameplate off the big gold belt. 
So I thought, dude, that's pretty cool. I'd like to have that. I reached out to him. He said, I don't have it. My friend has it. He'll never sell it. And I said, well, hypothetically, if he's ever in the market to sell, here's what I would offer. Well, two days later, he says, Hey, never sell is today. Here's his number. He'd be glad to take your offer. And so once I realized how easy it was to get the nameplate, I started doing some digging and I got the belt. And so once I got the belt, then I was just knee deep in my fandom again. And that's when I started to pay attention. And I went and did these convention type things and met folks. And that's how I met Ric Flair. And here we are. So it had to be, it had to be kind of overwhelming when all of a sudden you're like, you know, you, you fall out of love, so to speak with the wrestling business as a kid, like a lot of people do. Yeah. You know yes. what I mean, the business, the, 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 it's not that the business changes I find, right. Because, you know, I spent 26 years doing it. That's why I walked away from doing the show and I went on to do professional wrestling. It's the, the business doesn't change people that watch the business change. They grow up, they mature for lack of a better term, or they get onto different things as they find yes. in life. But here's the one thing that I've always noticed is that there's so many, there's so many like parallels from real life to professional wrestling life. Like the way that you can handle problems is kind of like, I've, I've found myself trying to handle them the same way that I would write a match or, yes. you know what I mean? It, it's, it's so weird. Once you start living in both of those lives, how, how easy they correlate with one another. And I always thought that that was fantastic. Now you mentioned Flair's robe. Mm -hmm. How many do you have in your house now? Just the one. Really? Uh, the butterfly robe, the 92 <laughs> rumble. Yeah. I, I started out looking for that one and nobody, nobody had seen it. Nobody knew where it right. was. It was just lost, you know? And, yeah. and so uh, even when they did that uh, television show a few years ago, that was real. Like nobody had seen it forever, but I'd been chasing it and even calling it out on, on all of my pods that I was looking for it. But I collected a bunch of other robes that he had in an effort to try to find that one. And I was always conscious of in that trading community, you need trade bait. And I learned that as a kid, like, uh, when I would open a pack of, of football cards and I had a Thurman Thomas hologram in there, uh, most kids would be excited, but if I already had it now, I'm like, okay, I'm still excited to have it because now I can trade this to someone else and get something cool with it. Right. So I, I did that, uh, through the years and I actually managed to flip several of them. I sold two to uh, the two K people and they chopped them up and put them in video games. I know a lot of people thought that was sacrilege, but one of them that I cut up had this giant, like coffee stain on the shoulder, uh, but I made money on every single robe, uh, or I traded it successfully for something even cooler. And the fun for me has always been in the, the chase and the acquisition okay. more so than the possession. Because as I said, once you have it, it's kind of like, okay, now, now, now what? Like it's cool, but like, what, what am I going to do with it now? Right. Cause you got to have um, a pretty big space. You got to get one of those glass cases. You got to get like a life-size mannequin to put it on. You know, you, it's, it's a process I can imagine. It is a process. Now what I have like to my left right now in the studio, it's just on a hook. Mm -hmm. So it's just like hung on the wall. So it's still cool and displayed cool, but yeah, like you could do all this crazy grandiose stuff. Like I'm lucky enough to have a, a little arcade in my basement here. And I had like this really cool display, uh, and then like a game room where I had like my, my pool table and my poker table. Uh, I had a bunch of that memorabilia stuff in there, but over time, you know, as you're chasing other stuff, you just, you, you rotate stuff in. So like, I've got Ali trunks down there and Tyson trunks down there and a bunch of old uh, jerseys and some, 
here in Alabama, we like an artist called Daniel Moore. He does a bunch of university of Alabama drawings and stuff. So I've got some of that stuff, but you know, you just, your collection evolves as your taste evolves. And as I said, the fun for me was always, I don't know that Indiana Jones pursuit of the next treasure more so than, Hey, we've got it. Now let's wear it to check the mail. That's not really my thing. (laughs) Have you, have you gotten, have you gotten a hold of your favorite piece yet? Or is the hunt still on for it? Yeah. Listen, there's always a few things that would be cool to find, but I think I've kind of checked most of the boxes I was looking for, you know, like accidentally, like I, I used to be in pursuit almost every day for something new, like in my downtime, you know, at the office or whatever, I would just scour or make connections or reach out to people and just see what's that guy got. And what does, what does he have that I want that I could trade and all that. And, and that was a lot of fun, but then I just sort of got, I don't know, I I guess I grew out of it, but you know, I used to have, I used to have Rick rude tights and Bobby Eaton tights and, you know, ultimate warrior tights and Hulk Hogan tights. I don't have any tights anymore. (laughs) I don't have a single pair, but it was a fun thing to do. And then I went through like a boot phase. And once upon a time I had several robes and I used to have a bunch of really nice made by the real deal belt makers, whether it's Reggie parks or Joe Marshall or Dave Milliken, I had a bunch of fantastic brand new, but high end replica belts. So not like a a shop zone replica that was a few hundred dollars, but a real one that was a few thousand dollars, just like the organization would order. But then eventually I was like, you know, that that's not it. I I want ring you stuff. I want bad worn stuff. I want stuff that's got damage on it. I want the side plates hanging off. I want the plate scuffed up. I want the, the, the leather beat to shit. Like I like all that. And so that became fun, but then it became like, Hey, why, why do I keep collecting this? At one time I had five different ring used intercontinental titles which on the one hand is cool. But then once I got the savage one, like the first one that savage wore, like the WrestleMania three, one, it's like, well, I don't need any other intercontinental titles. Like before I had this one, it was cool to have the gold dust one or a Miz one or whatever. Right uh, now it's like, okay, you got the savage one. That's kind of it. And so yeah. in my pursuit of like WWF world titles, once I landed the WrestleMania 17 one with Austin and rock, it's like, well, I kind of don't need Daniel Bryan's a big gold anymore. I mean, it's a cool belt, but like the rock Austin WWF world title, like that's, that's kind of as good as it gets for my fandom. Yeah. And we all know that the big gold, I mean, doesn't equate to Brian Danielson. It, it, it's to Rick or, you know what I mean? It's, it's that lineage. So the fact that they brought it back was kind of, I don't know. It was always kind of weird to me. Anyways, I wanted to ask you that they brought it back. Yeah, I I, I think it's one of my favorite designs. My actually favorite design is the one that is because I I collect what my fandom was not like what the wrestling community thinks is cool. I do that with watches and cars and everything that I collect. Like I get what I like, not necessarily the it car or the it watch or the it belt. Like, oh, everybody's crazy for this, like a spinner. Right. I know a lot of my, my wrestling belt friends, they would love to have a ring you spinner. And I can admit that would be kind of cool, but it would be way down the list of belts that mattered for my fandom. So Dude, I got to be honest with you. It's one of my worst, like my least favorite belts. When they came out with that spinner belt, I was like, this is, this just seems weird to me. It just remind cause it reminded me of that age. It reminded me of, oh, we're just putting a car rim on a belt because yeah. spinners were a big thing yep. you know what i mean when i was yep. a kid so it was always just really weird to me but i i get it 
I get it. There's certain people that were, that was the era yes. that they, you know what I mean? That they fell in love with yes. professional wrestling, just like the era that you fell in love with professional wrestling. That's why you go after the yes. stuff that you go after. Right. You got it. It's so I want to ask you, how did Starcast become a thing? Like, were you sitting around one day, you know, with somebody and said, Hey, I've gone to enough of these conventions. I can put one of these things on and, uh, you know, or was it, was it because of the fan side of you or was it because of the business side of you and you were, you wanted to be able to use this to promote your, your business? How did Starcast become a thing? combination of things i had been enjoying the nwa legends fan fest in um august mm-hmm. every year in charlotte and uh they had put it on for several years and then they announced this is the last one no more and when i knew they weren't going back i thought man my entrepreneur brain kicked in there's a whole group of fans who come to this thing every year just to hang out with each other and the wrestling events are kind of in the background, right? but we have created like a community. And I had one by that time of wrestling friends, guys that I wouldn't normally see any other time, guys who lived in Massachusetts or lived in Vermont or lived in North Carolina or South Carolina or Texas or Mississippi or Indiana or Illinois. I never saw those guys, but I could always count on seeing them in Charlotte at the NWA legends fan fest. And so we spent most of our time just hanging out at the bar fellowshipping. And when somebody had a, a photo op that they wanted, then they would, you know, go jump on the escalator at that Hilton and, and go knock it out. And then if there was a big production, whether it was a hall of fame dinner, we'd all go to that. Or maybe there was some, uh, I don't know, uh, talk on stage, you know, some sort of panel discussion about yeah. dusty's booking or whatever whatever applied to your fandom, you go knock that out. But then it was back to the group. And I thought, man, there's a, a group of folks who have already got this week circled on their calendar. This is where they want to go. This is what they want to do. So once I sort of got the itch and, and, and got it in my brain, this is what I want to do. I said, let's do a wrestling podcast convention. And at the time, Ricky Morton had one, Jim Cornette had one, Kevin Sullivan had one. And I thought we could just do panel discussions one after another but still do meet and greets, but we could do it really like a a comic con, but just for wrestling podcasts, like this emerging market. So I had that idea in 2017 and I thought I really want to do it. But at the time I was sort of partnering with Bruce on everything I could because well, something to wrestle had just blown up. And in 2017, we were riding the wave man and having a lot of fun and making a bunch of money. And I pitched Bruce on it and he said, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. You should definitely not do it. I am not interested. And I said, well, I think I'm going to do it. And he goes, okay, well then I'll do a show there and I'll do your meet and greets, but I want no part of it. Okay, cool. And then I reached out to the hotel and it had already been booked for a wedding. So they didn't have the capacity for us. All the banquet room was gone. All the meeting rooms were gone and a chunk of the hotel room. So what I had hoped to do just slide right into that open spot was not available. But I still had that in the back of my mind. So that would have been August of 2017 when I had hoped to do it. And then fast forward and I I accidentally bump into Cody at International Baggage Claim in Atlanta. Uh, I was coming back from a trip uh, with my now wife. We got engaged uh, down in Cabo and then we're on our way back. And and Cody is coming back from Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, her birthday, it was her birthday trip and her birthday's in the first week of January. 
So as we're coming back from Mexico, he's coming back from Japan and we just start messaging each other. And we had actually knew each other from doing Rick's podcast. And I actually met him before I was doing Rick's podcast, I guess, because I had the big gold and I wanted to show it to him because I had heard he had the nameplate for his dad and he did. So he actually loaned me the nameplate, let me take some photos. And, uh, and then I sent it back to him and sent him a nice little framed print and all that. So we were friendly. And as he heard about, or he had started talking about that bet with Dave Meltzer that they could sell out an arena for 10,000 folks. So I, I messaged him and I said, Hey man, I got an idea. I want to pitch you. So I did. Hey, what if, if you're really going to run a show, what if you let me run a wrestling podcast convention around it? And we turn that show into a destination for the weekend. He thought it was interesting. Wanted me to put down, you know, the whole idea on paper so he could show it to the bucks and they loved it. But their one request was, Hey, no wrestling. Like don't run wrestling matches. I guess the idea was thinking, Hey, if he's going to do a quote unquote wrestle con type thing, we don't want our show to be in competition with that show. We want all the focus to be on our matches, which I was totally cool with, but I pitched ideas that were kind of crazy. Like. Hey, let's do a weigh in and a press conference. Like nobody was really doing that in wrestling at that time. And, and they love that. And so anyway, we, we did it and it became like the Woodstock of wrestling. It was super fun. It was a happening and it was so, it was so fun and so successful that once AEW was officially a thing, they asked if I would run another one around their first event out in Las Vegas. And I jumped at the chance to do it. Uh, and then they wanted me to do another one in Baltimore, uh, for full gear. So we did it. Um, no, that was in Chicago. Yeah. So three was in Chicago, four was in Baltimore. Anyway, we just started piggybacking and they were happy with it. And we were too. And then the pandemic happened. And so now it's like, all right, what do we do now? And, uh, I didn't really think, you know, they were sort of doing their own thing at that point because they had the Turner association. I think those folks were really helping handle a lot of their fan fest type stuff. And when they announced that SummerSlam was in Nashville, I thought, man, this is too close to home. I mean, that's less than two hours from me. I wouldn't have to ship anything or truck anything. I could just, you know, two hours, bam, I'm there. No big deal. So I reached out to Jeff Jarrett because who knows Nashville better than Jeff. And, and he put me in touch with the fairgrounds people. And then I started to think, okay, if AEW is not coming to town, I know WWE is not going to let me use a bunch of their talent. What do I do? And I decided to be a dumbass and promote a wrestling show. So I had an idea. And as soon as I called Rick and I said, Hey man, we're going to do another star cast. I'm going to do it in Nashville. We're going to be piggybacking SummerSlam. What if you had one last and he said, yep, I'm in. And that was it. So <laughs> we did, I, I became an accidental wrestling promoter and didn't think I'd ever do that, but we did. And it sold out immediately at the fairgrounds. And so then we had to go dark for a month. And then during that process, we had been working for a while. And then we finally got the commitment from the municipal auditorium and we booked it and put tickets back on sale. And I became an accidental wrestling promoter too. So right would place, ever, right time, lots of entrepreneurial thought, I guess. Would you ever do it again? The promoting part? Listen, I had fun doing it and I'm really proud of what we put together. That's not uh, what I asked you, but, <laughs> but, but, but you but know, as well is, as I do, it is a pain in the butt trying to be a is, wrestling promoter. It is a pain in the butt and it is a thankless, uh, deal. Yeah. Um, 
it encouraged me to never want to do it again. Just uh-huh. seeing behavior and the attitudes uh from fans towards it where you know lord bless them but i think a lot of people a lot of fans think wrestling would be better if impact went out of business a lot of wrestling fans think wrestling would be better if mlw went out of business if the nwa went out of business if aew went out of business the idea to see and really realize hey nobody hates wrestling more than wrestling fans 100 percent, dude and and it was like why why am i doing this exactly i mean Boy, this sounds assholeish, but it's not like I need the money. Right. I was doing this because I thought it would be a fun event and everybody would have a lot of fun. And this would be a special moment. And by the way, for the fans in the arena, it was, I mean, I still get messages at least once a week about that, who just tell me that's the greatest wrestling experience in my life. And if you were in the building, man, it was special. It was a fun weekend, but that show was really special for the folks who were there, who were lifelong fans. And see generations of people going. So the fans who were there really, really appreciated it, but just the vitriol online for people who thought it would have been better had it not happened. And then I realized, you know what? They do that for everything. They do that for impact. They do that for NWA. They do that for MLW. Like, I don't know why, but the internet now has decided they hate Billy Corgan and and they hate court Bauer and LOL TNA and, and Tony Khan's an idiot. And there's all these like, wait, what? Like, yeah. How would, how would this thing you say you love be better if there was less of it? I, I, I've never understood that at all. And there's also this, there's also this thing is like, if you are, if you are wishing the demise on any of these companies at all, all you're really doing is wishing the demise on the people that you enjoy watching, the people that love the business so much that they became professional wrestlers, their job, their employment, their entire everything is surrounding themselves around being a professional wrestler. So really, it is the biggest asshole move you can do by 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 being a fan online and just constantly shit talking the thing that you supposedly love i'll never understand it but it's been going on ever since the beginning of the internet you know what i mean and you know this right i do know this but what i think has happened is i think i've just realized those people are just malcontents they're never happy they're not happy with their own life and like because i'll be honest i watch wrestling every week but and and boy i probably shouldn't say this but i watch the shows and fast forward uh-huh. I record raw. I record SmackDown. I record dynamite. I record collision, yada, yada, yada. And then I just, I stop on the things I want to see. I know ahead of time. Hey, I don't, I don't really care for this. I don't really care for that, but man, I, I really do want to see that. So I just fast forward to that. I can find something in every show that I like. And I think a lot of people wind up hate watching in real time. And they, they decide that they didn't like the majority of it. And it's like, why do you continue to do that? Like do the thing, watch and consume the things you enjoy. Don't, don't hate watch and, because yeah. you're exactly right. When you're, when you're stifling someone's like, if TNA had closed when the internet decided it sucked and they didn't want it anymore, would we have AJ styles or so many other, uh, so many other great talents like. I just, I don't see that. And I don't, I don't enjoy that, but, and then the other thing is, it's not like I had to do it. And so I think the next step, a lot of people thought I would take is, Hey, he's going to promote more shows. But number one, where do you go when you, when you're the second highest grossing, um, independent wrestling event of all time, 
like if I'm, I'm behind all in. So I was sort of loosely associated with all in. Then I did Ric Flair's last match. What the shit can follow that? Right. Like, like <laughs> it, like it'd be really hard for me now. And I don't mean for this to sound the way it does, but if the first time you're brushing up against it and around it is, is you sell out 10,000 some odd seats. And the second time it's Ric Flair's and that launches AEW. Mm-hmm. The second time you're around it is Ric Flair's last match. And there's 7,000 people there. More people saw Flair's last match in that building than they saw his last match of the trilogy with steamboat. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, how is that possible? So it's like, for me, it's like to run a show and Hey, 800 people came. It's like fucking no thanks <laughs> now. And if you, if I was a regular indie promoter, it would be like, Oh my God, we got 800 high five. Right. But I just align with this point. It's like, why would I do that? Because now if I had these plans of, I'm going to launch a promotion, which I don't, then that would be one thing, but I, I don't have any interest in actually trying to run an own a wrestling promotion or get a TV deal or compete or you know, to be the next MLW or NWA or impact, or even AEW. I have no interest in that whatsoever from a business standpoint. So it was just a fun opportunity to make my Starcast event bigger. So will I run another wrestling show? The answer is probably <laughs> it'll be surrounding a Starcast, and it'll right. be another one-off, but it's gotta be a really good idea for me to sure. be the promoter on it because after all in and Ric Flair's last match. And I know the internet at the time thought, oh, this is his new thing. He's going to do a bunch of last matches. Well, respectfully, I can't follow Ric Flair's last match with the honky tonk man's last match. It's just not the same. So I don't know what to do with that. So I don't have any intentions of running a wrestling show, but if I do, it'll be, uh, letting other people do it and run it, but it'll be piggybacking a, a, a star cast show. Yeah, I guess. And, and, and you got to admit there's you open yourself up to a whole lot of criticism yeah if you go out there you do rick flair's last match it does what it does and then you do something afterwards there's going to be all of those same people and be see told you so he wasn't really that good at this he just blah 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 you know what i mean so uh, why bother why bother because you you did you said yourself you did this entire thing as you know you are a fan of the business yes. of everything yes. around it. And you were giving back to those people, those people that you meet at these conventions, your friends, yes. your wrestling friends, you were like, you know what? I have the opportunity to give back to all of you because I see what this does for all of us. And yes. why open your, why open yourself up to the bullshit of the other people when realistically, I mean, come on, we both know you could just put a ring in your fucking backyard invite over who you want to put on a wretch, uh, a wrestling match for you and your friends. You know what I mean? If you really wanted to go that route, but, but you didn't, you chose to go, you chose to go away uh, around and put yourself out there. So to speak, yeah. that's something that a lot of people won't do. You yes. know what I mean? Is be able to put themselves out there like that. Um, how many, I know that you say that Bruce tried to talk you out of doing the, you know, the star cast thing and saying that it wasn't a good idea and everything like that. How many people tried to talk you out of doing Ric Flair's last match? Uh, the, the, uh, the biggest critic, I mean, obviously Bruce did, yeah. uh, the loudest and proudest to the point where, you know, I wasn't sure we'd be friends again was Jerry Briscoe. Okay. Uh, and then we wound up being fabulous friends and now we're both on the board for the, uh, the hall of fame and, and, and I just consider him, you know, one of my better friends in wrestling, but he was adamant that this was a terrible idea. 
And, and, uh, I mean, we had an, a, a not so polite phone call. Now we're all did, best of friends again now, but did he think it was a bad idea from, from, from like Rick's point of view, like putting Rick out there for his last match, or did he think it was a bad idea just putting on the entire event? Uh, Rick wrestling again. Right. But the reality is what he didn't know because he hadn't been in as regular communication as I had is Rick had been getting a lot of offers to wrestle. I mean, from really remote areas, like he had a really solid offer to wrestle his last match in Venezuela. I mean, I know that's random, but like there were, I mean, I, I saw really, I won't say the talent's name, but their talent you see on TV every week. And they were actively campaigning to have Ric Flair's last match. And there were promoters who were trying to put it together. There was one, I, I shouldn't list the promotions, but I know for sure of at least three that I saw on Rick's phone. Cause he said, Hey, what do you think of this? It just handed me his phone. And I'm like, are you going to do this? And he goes, Oh, I don't know. What do you think? And so then I said, you know, Rick, if you're going to do it, I don't know that you have to have some other promoters help. You could do it yourself. And he goes, oh, I don't want to do that. So my offer to Rick, when I called was, Hey, we'll be co-promoters. You know, like, uh, this whole weekend will be based around you. So Rick was our partner on that thing. So, you know, if you got a, I don't even remember if he was there, but if you got a Bubba Ray Dudley meet and greet, and it was some sort of rev share deal, then Ric Flair did okay on that. So he did, it's probably as, I don't know for sure, but it's a top five payday for his career with no TV. It's not WWE. It's not WCW. It's just us trying to do a little documentary as best we can. Uh, and, and try to create some interest online and, and, and just leverage his name and make it look cool. And clearly it worked. Do you think, do you think that that is like a, a hindrance or a help though? And the reason I ask this is because you know, as well as I do, you've been around enough wrestlers now and myself is once we kind of like get away from it, just like you did with your fandom as, as a kid, you get away from it. And then all of a sudden there's that one little thing. There's that rope, there's that belt, there's that, yeah. that, that, that road trip for a wrestler, right. That you get on that road trip or you just go to a show and watch and you're like, man, these guys are just tearing it up. And, and, and I want to get back out there again. Do you think it's more of a hindrance or, you know, um, a celebration? as it were like for Rick to have his last match, but now you see him still going out there, still trying, you know what I mean? He's, he's out there on AEW throwing punches and, and like uh, addressing like a fucking stud, I must say, but, but, but you know what I mean? Sometimes we become our own worst enemies. You know what I mean? Inside of the business. Do you, I mean, at what point, at what point do you, do you as Rick's friend, uh, family member, so to speak, at what point do you have to say to Rick, Rick enough's enough? Never. Yeah. You know, the reality is like, I think, uh, God has a plan and a purpose for all of us. And I think I was supposed to do mortgages. And I think I was probably supposed to be near a microphone at some point, uh, creating content and neither one of those were my choice. I was sort of accidentally recruited into both of those. Right. And then I just got comfortable and had fun. And, and I got to know, maybe I found my life's purpose. Well, Rick found his a long time ago. And I think it's one of the traveling. He's not going to wrestle again. And I know that the internet believes he's going to wrestle again. He's not going to wrestle again, but the idea that he gets to be in front of a live crowd, like that's gotta be one of the things that 
that gives him life and motivation and is exciting. Like he is a professional, uh, celebrity at this point. I mean, he has a, a, I shouldn't say how much, but let's just say he does very, 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 very well. He makes top guy money just signing autographs. I mean, he goes like this on the weekend and makes yeah. what a lot of folks make in a year and he does it in three hours. Yeah. Then he'll come back and do it the next day and he'll make your next year salary just doing this. So he's, he doesn't need the money to do the AEW thing. And I know that's the narrative. Oh, Rick's broke. He must need blah, blah, blah. Not true. You know, he's got, he's got the cannabis line. He's got the energy drink and he's still making two comma money signing autographs. So he doesn't need the money, but he misses the adrenaline and the rush of being in front of the, the crowd, but bigger than that, he misses the camaraderie of the guys. And a lot of people who've never played team sports or they've never been a part of a sales organization, but guys who are listening to this, who are in a sales organization, they know that they look forward to going to work, not to deal with the fucking customers, but to hang out with the guys yeah. and, and to bust balls and bullshit with the guys. And so uh, Ric Flair's highlight is holding court in the bar after the shows with another generation of talent, telling stories and getting to be their friends and be around it. And that is his motivation. So why would we tell him, Hey, you shouldn't do that. Just go home and sit in the rocking chair. What? Nah, man, let's, let's go to Toronto today, Vegas, tomorrow, New York, the next day, let's promote action figures and sign autographs and you know, tell the kid in the shut row, the third row to sit down fat boy. Like he's having fun. Let him do right. his thing. Could you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine like, and this is what we see. We see, we see immediate deterioration of people when they don't get a chance to do it. You know what I mean? I went out, I was out on Saturday because I just, I had my last match back in December. Um, I've had a broken neck already and you know and i've got i've literally got every single vertebrae in my spine is fused together right wow. now so you know what i mean it's it, it for health reasons it's probably best that i don't take any more bumps yeah <laughs> there's no doubt about that but i've there's a there's i still own a wrestling school um here in canada um called crossbody studios uh, we're still doing fantastic things. I'm still training guys. I'm still, and then I started doing commentating, uh, for a company called Neo pro wrestling out of Niagara falls that asked me to come out and I was out there on the weekend and, you know, they just had Sean Spears and his wife came up for it. Um, you know, Heath was just out there on the last one. So, and these are all like Spears is Sean Spears is one of my guys. Nice I help, I help, ever. I help break that stupid son of a bitch into the business. You know what I mean? I, I love Sean and his entire family to death. Fantastic people um, as well. I mean, when you think about like Ontario, Ontario, Canada and Toronto, you know, because that's the city, but not everybody's from Toronto, but just Ontario in general, the amount of talent that has been put out from Ontario, it's comparative. I compare it to the amount of NFL players that have come out of Alabama, yeah, there you, go. <laughs> you know, and I know that like when, when we first met that many years ago, you were a, a young kid playing football, yep. right? You're playing football in Alabama. How, how did you not pursue that end of, uh, uh, you know, I think I burned out on it. You know, it was one of those deals where my kids started, uh, my parents started me too early. Like I was playing, I was playing peewee football when I was in first grade 
Right. Uh, so, so eventually I just got tired of it. You know, it was not the same. It was monotonous to me. Do you still, um, do you still watch every Alabama game there is? I'm, I'm watching. I'm all, I mean, obviously like, uh, you know, I'm going to watch the big games. Like when Ohio state plays, uh, you know, uh, Michigan, I'm going to watch that. And when, when the sec championship happens, even if Alabama's not in it, I'm going to watch that. And this, you know, a, a while back, there was the rematch from, uh, the super bowl with the Eagles and the chiefs. I watched oh. that. So yeah, football is still a major passion of mine. Now, do you follow the Alabama players? Because if that was the case, once they get into the NFL, I would assume that you would be a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I am an Eagles fan. Yes, that a boy. See, I knew I, I knew you grew up right. Well, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't raised to be. See, my parents grew up, uh, you know, back in the day, there were only two games. You know, back in the day, there were like three channels on. Yeah. So you could watch the Steelers or you could watch the Cowboys. Well, my family, like on both sides, like my dad's dad and my mom's dad, they were both Cowboys fans. So I kind of didn't have a choice, but my hero as a kid was Joe Montana. He was my yeah. favorite quarterback. And it was kind of cool to be contrarian to your dad since they were both NFC teams, but I, I could at least admit the appreciation for what the Cowboys did in the nineties. I mean, it was remarkable, but I was, I was a Montana guy. And after nine 11, I really got behind, uh, the Patriots because it was a total accident. The way that all happened, like, you know, Tom Brady was not supposed to be the guy drew Bledsoe goes down. Now this rookie quarterback steps in. And, you know, they're playing in the Super Bowl right after 9-11 against the greatest show on turf, the Rams. And they are such a huge underdog. Nobody even gives them a shot. They're not supposed to be there because of the tuck rule and all this other shit. Uh, so people just didn't think they belonged. And I thought it was such a cool story and so fitting that on the heels of 9-11 and, and against the greatest show on turf where the players are getting individual entrances, the Patriots, well, what a name that is on the heels of 9-11, the Patriots run out together, you know, in lockstep. And then during the halftime, U2 plays and they list behind them on a curtain that falls at the end, all the names of the victims from nine 11. And, and then they come back and they win with a last minute, miraculous field goal and a rookie quarterback. I was like, this is a movie. How right. could you not pull for these guys? It's a wrestling they, match. It it's is a goddamn wrestling match, Conrad. <laughs> And they were the baby dog. They were the baby faith underdog. And I got behind them. And then of course they just had this incredible string of success. And then when they broke up the band and Belichick and Brady were there no more as a team, as sort of a, you know, Darth Vader type team, it was like, okay, uh, let me just follow the Alabama guys. And my wife recently watched that Kelsey documentary. I think it's on Amazon or Hulu, yep. whatever it's on. And she just fell in love with the Eagles. And I was explaining to her, well, Hey, that guy right there, uh, he played at Alabama. Oh, and that guy right there, he played at Alabama. And now <laughs> with Julio Jones coming on. So now every week she's like, what time do the Eagles play? And so now in my household, the only NFL game we watch every week is the Eagles. And, you know, she grew up in Minnesota. So she grew up as a Vikings fan. She couldn't name one Vikings player, but she could name five or six Eagles players now. So. Yeah, that's it's been true. fun to, to follow the Eagles this year. That's a bit, listen, I hear it in my household all the time is like, you know, my wife doesn't, she doesn't watch football, but she, she says, she goes, I don't like to watch football. I don't get it, but I really like to watch you watch football. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's kind of the thing around here. And I'm, listen, I am a, I'm a diehard Eagles fan. I am one of these guys that, you know, like the guy, the guy, it's funny because the guy who owns, uh, who I own the school with, uh, Big Ben Ortman's uh, professional wrestler as well. 
he's an uh, a diehard Cowboys fan. Oh, wow. That's fun. And even so much so that where I was like, all right, let's do this. Let's go to Dallas. Like I'll fly. I'll go into the lion's den. No problem. Let's fly to Dallas. I'll be wearing my number 92 Reggie white Jersey. You know what I mean? My throwback Kelly green Reggie white Jersey. And I will walk right into there. I will sit in the middle of a field of silver and gray stars, and they will understand what a Philadelphia Eagles fan is all about. We almost got into a fight just because apparently, you know, um, you're not allowed. They don't like when you swear at a football game. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is in Dallas. No less Conrad. I was like, really? Okay. All right, cool. This is why none of you would ever survive going to a Philadelphia Cowboys game in Philadelphia. Like it just doesn't happen that way. So um, it's always, and for me, it was, for me growing up, it was, it was Cunningham. Cunningham was my, guy. Oh yeah. The man, you know what I mean? Like I, uh, he was just like the epitome of that new age quarterback that you just, yes. that everybody seems to want to be now, you know, and, and talking about Alabama though, I got to ask who's the best player to come out of Alabama outside of Derrick Henry. Man, you know, listen, uh, this is going to be a, a throwback. I mean, old timers might say, oh, it was Bart Starr. It was Joe Namath. But right. in my lifetime, I got to think it's probably Derek Thomas. Yeah. Like just one of the greatest linebackers in history. Uh, I mean, he was just absolutely dominant. And to think that, you know, he was there around the same time guys like Cornelius Bennett were and the legacy that he had. Um, but, you know, who knows with, with, it's crazy to think though, because for so many years of my lifetime, Alabama did not have the star quarterback, right? You know, like I knew before my fandom, before hell I existed, I knew about, as I said, Kenny Stabler and Bart Starr and Joe Namath. But then, you know, when we won our, the first national title of my lifetime, Jay Barker respectfully did not set the world on fire in the NFL. And so then when Brody Croyle came along, I thought, okay, here it is. And he had a nice career as a backup, but nothing really happened. And I'm, I'm friendly with Greg McElroy. And I thought for sure, Hey man, that guy's football IQ is through the roof. He's going to dominate. And it didn't really happen that way. And nor did it for AJ McCarron. So I was kind of just conditioned that, okay, we're going to have great running backs like Sean Alexander. Uh, but, but we're just, we're not a quarterback school. And then to look now, and I realize he's having a rough season, but you got Mac Jones as a starter and you got Bryce young as a starter and you got Tua as a starter and you got Jalen hurts as a starter. It's like, how did this happen? And the answer of course is Nick Saban, but it's interesting to see how, even during the Saban era, that's all changed a little bit. Like, you know, they're a quarterback school now. And now with, with Milrow this year, just coming out of nowhere and maybe not having the best start, but really finishing strong. It'll be interesting to see what his career looks like in the next few years too. But I think in my lifetime, it's probably Derek Thomas. Okay. All right. And, and you know, listen, Nick Saban is, he has to be, he has to be the, he's the Ric Flair of, of coaches. He is as far, as far as I'm concerned, you know what I mean? Nobody has is more decorated, deserves more and the way that he has groomed this culture, so to speak, you know what I mean? With, with, with Alabama is, is unbelievable. I got to ask you, how did you end up? Because we, you know, I, I, I play video games. I play, actually, I really don't. I play Madden. 
<laughs> and yeah. I, and I oh. play, and I play PGA golf when I just want to relax. That's pretty much it. I'm not a, I'm too old for video games. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, uh, I feel the same just, way. It, it just wasn't my era or whatever. And I hear these, you know, the, all these kids and stuff talk about it, but to be in a video game is a different, different world altogether. How did that come about, dude? Because I, when I saw this, I was like, really, really? Like, it, are you sitting on a fucking golden egg? Like all of like, you got to admit, dude, you got to admit you've been blessed. You've been absolutely blessed, you know, no doubt about it. So like, how does it come about that you end up being a character in a video game? Well, it's a funny story because I, uh, I chased Jeff Jarrett for years trying to get him to do a podcast because I was convinced that he was one of the most interesting stories in wrestling that nobody really talked about, or maybe a lot of people didn't even know or put together. And so then once we actually started working together, we realized we had similar philosophies on business and I've learned a lot from him and he says he's learned a lot from me, but he just has, uh, I, I never knew as he calls him BS Jeff Jarrett before sobriety. Uh, I didn't know that Jeff, uh, I think we would have got along and it would have been fun to party with him, but I know this guy who's trying to move forward and grow and get better and learn and evolve. He's a very well-rounded evolved human being. And so anyway, as, as we have pitched a lot of ideas, Hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? And so we've worked on a lot of really fun stuff together. And one of those things he presented to me was the idea and opportunity to uh, be in this video game. He created a joint venture called Moonsault Digital with the folks who were putting together the WrestleQuest game and uh, Skybound Games. And so he said, hey, man, there's a really cool Japanese role-playing type game with like those 80s graphics from like the old WWF arcade games. And we can get you know, the IP for some really big names like Andre, the giant and macho man and the British bulldog and the road warriors and bruiser Brody, et cetera, et cetera. And they wanted to have a storytelling component. So he asked if I would just talk to the guys. So we did a little zoom and, and chatted through it. And the gist was, Hey, in order for us to have these storylines and these angles, we need to have some out of the ring stuff and wrestling podcasting, such a big thing. What if they came on your podcast and talked about, you know, their feuds or their next match or celebrated their world title wins or whatever. And I was like, wait, are you suggesting I'm going to be in the video game? And they were like, well, with your permission. And I'm like, sign me up. So <laughs> yeah, that was it. You know, I, I never imagined that I would get to uh, host a television series on vice or have a show on the WWE network or do European tours with the podcast or be in a fucking video game. Like this whole experience has been surreal. And I have my own group chat of wrestling friends, as I mentioned from all over the country that I met at that NWA legends fan fest, gosh, 10 years ago. And we're still friends to this day. And we talk 24 seven in that group chat, but every now and again, I'll just make a post in there and say, Hey guys, uh, this is it. This is the peak. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> and that, and that seems to have happened on multiple occasions. Like I never imagined I'd be in a video game, but here we are. What's left. What's left at this point. I wouldn't have predicted Ric Flair's last match. I could have right. never said that that would be a thing. And I mean, just little stuff along the way, like to be able to do commentary 
at the NWA show and, uh, at wrestling at the chase, the first time the NWA was back at the chase, this historic wrestling building, and it's a pay-per-view and I got to do commentary. And I mean, when AEW became a thing, they announced their existence in a parking lot. And I was the MC like, what the fuck? I'm like the fourth <laughs> jump of wrestling. It shouldn't happen this way, but it does. And I am very thankful for the opportunity. That is insane. When you say that, because like, you don't think you don't think that one person can have this kind of an influence, especially. And here's here's why I say this, because what you do, what you do is you get together and you allow all of these all of these old timers or all of these guys in the business to tell their stories, to yes. tell, you know what I mean, to answer, answer questions. You don't follow that the the dirt sheet mentality at all. You know what I mean? Like I, I find that, which is, which is completely refreshing to me. Uh, I don't know how you feel about, you know, people that write dirt sheets out there. Um, I personally am not a huge fan um, because I think that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a difference between telling somebody like allowing somebody to tell their story and just trying to expose stuff in the everyday to muddy the waters so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, how do you, do you, do you ever get flat, uh, like any kind of flack when people try to try to compare the two, like try to compare you to, I'll, I'll say it, try to compare you to Dave Meltzer. Well, no, listen, first of all, I like Dave Meltzer and I know that some of my hosts don't, but those guys by and large have never actually met or hung out or shared a meal or a beer or had a good time with Dave Meltzer. But the real life human being is Dave Meltzer. Right. But to look back and expect anyone to bat a thousand at their job. And I think sometimes some of my friends in the wrestling space who are critical of Dave, they will look at, you know, his entire report and they'll see one thing that wasn't correct and then just dismiss the rest. And I often wonder, Hey, if we turn that around and, and, and applied that same logic to you. Like, Hey, Eric, cause Eric has been maligned by a lot of the wrestling audience. And I think sure. that was the same. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do the podcast with him. And so after the week one of our success of the podcast, we had a little instrumental and in over a video, uh, where we just touted our success about how many downloads and, and where we were on the charts and what the success was and how many views and all that stuff. And I told my graphics guy who was putting it together, Chris McDonald, who does a great job. I said, make the, the, the song or the music bed underneath the instrumental to forgot about Dre. And I, and I did that and I showed it to Eric and he liked it. And I said, do you recognize the instrumental? And he said, nope. And so he called me and he goes, what, what do you, what do you mean? The instrumental? I said, the music bed, the beat underneath, do you recognize that? And he goes, no. And I said, it's forgot about Dre. And he goes, okay. And I said, okay, let me give you the context. This guy was a real rap pioneer who laid the groundwork for a lot of what we see today in hip hop. And he kind of went dormant after he had maybe the most classic hip hop album of all time. And when he had his next effort, many, many years later, almost a decade later, he had a track on there. And the gist was y'all motherfuckers must've forgot who did this shit because you're the guy, the only guy who beat Vince McMahon one time. But you didn't just beat him one time. You beat him 83 weeks in a row. By the way, he beat him a lot more than 83 weeks, but he did 83 times in a row and nobody's ever done it. And nobody ever will again. 
and you're the guy who turned Hulk Hogan heel and you're the guy who found Goldberg and you're the guy who went heads up with raw and you're the guy, blah, 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 blah. And so when we really started to, as I'm going through that rant, he put me on speaker so his wife could hear because he had been just beat up forever by the internet wrestling community because so many people would look at one failure here or there and, and just dismiss his entire career. And I don't think that's fair to Eric, but I also don't think that's fair to Dave. So if Dave has a report that's 90% true and 10% is inaccurate, we're supposed to shame him. Like imagine if I applied that same logic to Bruce, Bruce has had a lot of wonderful ideas and creative. Even Bruce would say I had a few stinkers along the way too. Well, if we just like a look at the stinkers and we say, well, everything in your whole career sucked because you did this one thing. Well, that's not fucking fair. That right. discounts and dismisses all the great stuff he did too. So I actually do appreciate Dave's opinion. I don't get too caught up in star ratings. I think they're fun. I think they are fun to, to make charts and graphs with. And is it a fun talking subject? Yes. But at the same time, it's one dude's opinion. He's telling you his opinion of the match. And if you read into it more than that and you say, well, the omnipotent day an all knowing Dave Meltzer said, this is a four and a quarter match. That was his opinion. It could be a five-star match to you. What does that even mean? Like Oppenheimer is going to win a ton of awards. I saw it. I'll never see it again. It was fine, but I'm never going to sit down and watch that movie again. Now, if I'm flipping through the channels and casinos on, when we hang up here, I'm watching all the way to the end. 100%. I don't care what Siskel and Ebert said. I know what I like. So I don't get too caught up in the opinions piece, if that makes sense. So. I do enjoy the dirt sheets. Uh, I enjoy Dave Meltzer. I enjoy Mike Johnson. I enjoy Wade Keller. I certainly enjoy Sean Ross Sapp. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing it. Nick Houseman. These guys break stuff that I, it is factual, is interesting. I do appreciate their opinion, but I also know sometimes they're getting stuff wrong. I mean, I've seen stuff reported with my name that was incorrect and my friend's names that I know is incorrect, or I've been at shows and seen what actually happened backstage. And then what was reported is totally different, but I understand how they got that. Like someone in that locker room had an agenda and they called that person and reported it. That's what happened. And so if you have a firsthand account of what happened, well, as a reporter, you probably print it, but you have to understand the lens. The person who told you that is jockeying for position. They're angling for something. They want something on the other side of this report. And when you understand that it sort of opens your eyes up and you, you take it all with a grain of salt and you appreciate it for what it is. It's entertainment. Like there's some stuff that's in the national Enquirer That's true. There's some stuff that's not true. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. But at no time is the earth flat Conrad. I'm telling you right now. Right. I'm, I'm positive of that too. I would agree. <laughs> I got a couple more and I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate this. Well, I don't know you. why. I don't know why it's taken us this long to to reconnect. Um, I, I hope that we can do this a lot more often. Uh, I enjoy listening to, to your stuff all the time. Uh, we have we have a common friend uh, as well outside of outside of the wrestling business, as it were, you know, in one Mr. Shuley Egar. Uh, who is, uh, is he How a neighbor of yours? You know now? that guy. <sighs> Listen, I was going to ask you the same fucking thing. Okay. How does any, how does Shuli end up wedging himself into everybody else's lives? Uh, <laughs> like, how do we know this guy? <laughs> 
he he was listening to the Ric Flair show way back yeah. when my very first podcast followed me on Twitter, hit me with a DM. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I grew up a big Stern show junkie. And I was like, dude, next time I'm in New York, you got to give me a tour of the studio. He goes, I would love to. And then when I did a show, uh, in New York with Bruce, we had him come out and, uh, do some, have some fun with us on stage. And we hung out afterwards. It was tremendous. And so we just hit it off and became fast friends. And anytime I was up there, uh, we would get together or when I put together a star cast, I'd, I'd have him there. And then during the pandemic, he was looking for uh, a way to, you know, get the family out of New York for a bit. Cause they were on absolute lockdown. So they yeah. took a road trip and they drove all the way from New York, Brooklyn or Queens or wherever the shit he lived. And he came down to Huntsville and he loved it, man. He, he got our minor league baseball hat and, uh, started looking for houses with my buddy who happens to be a realtor. And he found a hell of a house with a bunch of land. And, you know, he went from a tiny apartment to a big house with a big yard where there's deer in the backyard and his kids, you know, growing up in the city, they'd never had the opportunity to just go outside and ride bikes. And it was a whole new way of life. So I was, I was thrilled that he made the decision to move down here and it is a different pace of life and hopefully one that, that he and his wife enjoy, but how in the world do you know, Shuli Agar? So we were doing, um, I was doing a show. I do a show called Godfather's podcast with Donnie Abreu when we started, you know, who I started live audio wrestling with and all we had, uh, the opportunity to have Bob Levy on. And so Bob comes on the show or whatever. And I, we hit it off with, with Bob, no problem. You know what I mean? It was fantastic time. And he was like, Hey, I do this stuff on this YouTube channel on this network, so to speak called, you know, TSN, the Shuli network. Right. And we would love to have your show over there on the Shuli network. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird and bizarre, but okay, let's uh, like, what's it entail? So we had some conversations and then, you know, Shuli and I just kind of hit it off. Like it was, you know, I've, I, I've, I've got nothing but respect for the guy. Like he's a fantastic, you know, human being. Yes. I mean, he's one of my top three favorite Jewish people in the world, as I'd like to tell him. Uh, <laughs> he's in one, my top three too. First one being Matt Cardona, right? <laughs> Wait, Cardona Jewish? I don't know, but that's always been the joke. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, and so we like, we had the opportunity to put the show over there. And would I'd have conversations with, you know, Shuli all the time. And, and yeah, we just kind of like sprouted a friendship that way. Um, and then eventually, you know, we wanted to go off and do Godfathers on our own thing. They were, they were changing some direction stuff over at uh, the Shuli network and they had some staff changes, a bunch of producers left or whatever. So it was just like, you know what, the timing works out great, but we still, I still talk to Shuli on the regular um, and yeah, uh, you know, went down and met all of the guys. They were doing a thing down in uh, uh, Pottstown, Pennsylvania, not too long ago. Went down, met everybody from the crew. Like, it's just, there's a lot of similarities I find between the world of stand-up comedy and the world of and wrestling 100 yeah. it's the it's the couple of guys in a car going to the next gig it's it's sleeping in you know shitty hotel rooms sometimes it's it's it but but the the camaraderie and it's the sharing of the stories and it's the road life that i think the similarities are just so so severe that you know that's what i think draws everybody to to the field 
of, of being a professional wrestler. I think that's what draws comedians to being comedians is it all comes down to the camaraderie and yes. being able to get out on the road with your, with your friends and, 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 and for whatever, you know, leave reality leave reality for if, if, if you're on the road for a, a day, if you're on the road for a weekend, if you're on the road for a month or whatever it is, like just, you know, you don't, you're, you're living this rock star lifestyle as, yeah. as low budget as it might be. It's, it's really, you know, and that's why, that's why it's always been baffling to me. I've never understood why people would want to shit on that for others, unless you're just horrible human beings, you know, and it brings yes. us back to the fans that were, that were on the internet and, and, as a, as a person who's come from both sides, you know, um, this side of the microphone and being on in the ring with a microphone and, you know, being a professional wrestler, I can, it's always been that thing that like, has the internet killed professional wrestling? You know, you always hear that question what did the internet and what did it do for professional wrestling? I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear your take on that real quickly before we uh, wrap this whole thing up. No, I think the internet, if anything, it's made wrestling stronger. I mean, certainly you have, um, you know, it's, it's changed the way we think about wrestling and the approach to wrestling, but it's also changed the access. Like think about the way indie promotions used to try to sell tickets. I mean, you would have to buy radio, very expensive, buy TV, even more expensive or put up posters. And I'm not convinced that postering a town really works in 2023. So social media, just promoting it on Facebook, promoting it on YouTube, promoting it on Twitter and Instagram, not even paid advertising, but if you want to go and really blow it up, doing paid advertising or any or all of those is an absolute game changer. So as much as there is negative in the social media space to do with wrestling, I still think overall it is a a larger opportunity it's presented a larger opportunity so again I, I i think you could look at it both ways but would kayfabe be alive if social media didn't exist no we would still all know we all we, we understand like just time goes on nothing is the way it used to be but i think because of the internet we get to go back and watch video of the way it used to be like before the internet was where it is now like when i was first meeting you I was a tape trader. Yeah. Like I had to hope that some nameless faceless stranger I never met would accept my money order and then go copy some tapes and then put them in a mailbox. And then they would wind up in Alabama. Like when you really think about the long, strange trip we took to get here versus now I could just literally type it in Google, which is the world's, I mean, in YouTube, which is the world's second largest search engine behind YouTube or behind, I'll get it right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The idea that I can watch any match at any time now is crazy. I mean, it used to be like, I wonder who has a copy of that big Japan grocery store match. <laughs> I could just go fucking look that up right now. And if YouTube doesn't have it, Vimeo or somewhere else does. Someone's got it. Yeah. Yes. And, and so I, I think it's been a, a strong net positive and it's given guys to have an outlet like you know, way back when wrestlers would put out a book and we would all be excited about the book, but man, that book really it's over in a day. Like you've read that book in a day and that's it. You never hear or think about that person again. Whereas, you know, thanks to shows like grilling Jr. We don't just have Jr's handful of books. We've got Jr every week, just sharing his opinions, 
giving his perspective, telling his stories. The internet has allowed those stories to have a platform and not be edited because that's not to say that they couldn't go out and do an interview or, or do a dirt sheet or, or whatever. They could have done all of that before. How much of that's going to make air, especially if it's television, how much of it winds up on the cutting room floor? Like I'm friends with the guys advice who do dark side of the ring and tell some territories and all that and think the world of them, but man, they, they, they come to these guys' houses and they shoot four or five, six hours. And then they try to make it work within the constraints of television. So you can't air the interview four or six hours. You have right. to cut it down to 17 minutes. Yeah. And that's hard. Oh yeah. That doesn't exist now because of the internet. So long story short, I think the internet's a net positive. It's funny. You mentioned the dark side of the ring stuff and I've seen your stuff on there and you know, they do all of the stories go around yeah. everybody's house and stuff, but they do all of the matches, all of the reenactments and everything. Yeah. They do those up here. And I've, I was, uh, I finally gave in to them, um, cause they would contact me all the time, right. Uh, about, they wanted me to do, they wanted me to be undertaker. They wanted me to be, they wanted me to be my trainer, Johnny canine. At one point they thought, ah, this will be the one that'll, that'll get them, you know, to do it. And it was always for me anyways, it was always just like, my personal thing was like, no, those people like, uh, it's it's too i will never be able to number one do it justice and i always just kind of felt like i never watched the show because i don't you know i don't enjoy those darker stories uh, because i know a lot of them i know a lot of those stories i know a lot of these guys but they thought that hey we're doing this johnny canine one we'd love for you to you know be involved with it or whatever i said listen i'll i'll tell you if you have something right but I, you know, that's about it. And then finally they came to me and they were like, okay, last time we're going to ask you, we're doing the story on Matt Bourne. We're doing the doink, the clown stuff or whatever. And I was like, yeah, man, because Matt was a friend of mine. I was like, you know what? I will do this one. And I, and, and, and so they had me come in and be older Matt Bourne. They had somebody else do the doink stuff. Cause I was, cause they're first, they come to me and they're like, well, can you, can you cut a promo for us? You know, in, and as, as doink. And I was like, no, <laughs> number one, I, I would never be able to do it justice doing doink. And, and number two, that I mean, that's just not my thing. So no. Okay. Well, how about if we have you come in and be old Matt Bourne, and I was like, oh, wait, so you're asking me to portray the part where Matt basically dies. It was weird, dude. I got to tell you, it was very weird when I not just watching it back, but laying there as the, as you're acting out the scenes and you're I'm laying there as my friend in a hospital gurney dying. You know what I mean? So the dark side is a really weird it's a really weird conundrum for me personally being in the world, you know, being a professional wrestler yep. for as long as I have, but telling the story about somebody else, you know what I mean? So uh, kudos to you guys for this, the, the way that you guys put together, like the, the three at the table and all of the, you know, the stuff, yeah. the, all of those interview things. Um, I think that the show would be a lot more depressing if it wasn't for those, you know what I mean? If it wasn't for those stories to go along with it. Yeah. Listen, I, I really enjoyed it because I felt like some of those stories needed to be told. I agree. I think some episodes are better than others, but I think there's been some that were just fantabulous. Like, yeah. man, that, that Adrian Adonis one this past year, I think might yeah. be my favorite one I ever really, saw. Yeah. yeah. Did we see, so we filmed that one. Uh, we filmed all of the, 
other stuff, the reenactment stuff, the same time that we, they did uh, Matt. Yeah. So it was, I was there for all of those days as well. And it was, it's, it's crazy when you watch it all put together, you know, it's even crazier afterwards, but some of the ideas that they were kind of like when they were doing the Matt Bourne thing and they're like, okay, you get th thrown into jail and we want you to rip the sink out of the wall or whatever. And I was like, okay. So doing three takes while somebody sprays you in the face with water the entire time was not necessarily, you know, a good time for me that's for damn sure but you know reenacting of lifting up a car or all of that kind of stuff fine but then all of a sudden it's like okay in this one you're basically uh taking death gurgles in a chair <laughs> yeah yeah that was that'd be tough yeah see I, I i the reason maybe i like the adrian one so much is it predated so much of my fandom so it was really new information right so a lot of the other stories, you know, I knew a lot about, but I didn't know a lot about Adrian and I was inspired enough to go, you know, read a book about him. And I don't know, it really grew my fandom and my appreciation and my respect for the character and his work, but the man behind the character, cause I just, I just didn't know much about it. So, and, and I, I think to myself, there's probably a lot of people who watch that show, who don't know these stories the way I do for the other characters and they feel the same way. So I'm excited to see what they're working on next. Uh, I'm sure you probably know too, but I also know we're not supposed to be talking about it. So, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to see whatever it is hypothetically that they're working on next. Yeah. It's going to be, it, it is going to be a good, a good next season. And thankfully for vice is they have that show. Yes. You know, because I mean, the station itself is, definitely not doing the best in the world yeah. <laughs> no yeah. no definitely not um conrad i want to thank you so much you know it's been it's been a solid hour of sitting down and, and catching up with you when's the last time we talked 25 uh, years ago has to be at least has to be at least because I, I i tell the story you know we tell the story sometimes about like donnie and i in montreal yeah for for that for the quote quote infamous montreal screw job like when they had canceled all media for it or whatever but we happened to get backstage because we're friends with you know tiger and his dad right and and they're like come on let's go and we're there for the whole thing and this was before cell phones or anything like that yeah. we went to a pay phone we're like this needs to get out there who can we get a hold of that can get this out there as fast as possible so who do we call we call our boy your boy from alabama Conrad Thompson, you know, got it's you crazy. on a, on a payphone for that thing. I mean, dude, you were a call, you were a call in dude on the law who had your own theme music when you <laughs> called in. <laughs> it, it's so crazy to think, you know, I, which is why I was so delighted to see your name on social media because it's like, is this the notorious TID? Like, yeah. what in the world? And to be able all these years later to connect, even though it took a little longer than we would have liked. Now we've got each other's <laughs> cell phone numbers and we're done with the social media rigmarole. Absolutely. I, I, I'm just so happy to talk to you today and so glad to hear that you're doing well. I had no idea we had so many commonalities, whether it's Dark Side of the Ring or Shuli and all that. It shouldn't be 25 years before we talk again. Let's no. endeavor to be better. No, it'll it'll definitely be a lot uh, a lot sooner. That's for sure. I'm going to be hitting you up for more of these and picking your brain because I mean, listen, I stepped away from the world of standing behind a microphone, you know, sitting at a desk doing this stuff. You have, have created an absolute monster and there's going to be things that I'm going to now learn from you. Well, you know, whatever and, it means. 
So, so let's definitely catch up again very, very soon. Let's Conrad Thompson, it has been my pleasure. Absolutely. Um, and for all of you that have been listening, you know, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. And when uh, we come back, we'll wrap this whole thing up. This is The Law Live Audio Wrestling. We'll be right back. Hey there, friends, listeners, and newcomers. This is Eric B., and I am the host of the Impactful Podcast. On the Impactful Podcast, we're going to break down everything Impact Wrestling each week. That includes everything that goes on in the background, everything that happens on TV, and everything that you're hearing on the news and social media. So please join me each week and live life impactfully. On the Law, live audio wrestling. So I hope you all took your tinfoil hats off and put your thinking caps on for that one, because, Chris, I got nothing to say. At this point, I'm just going to I'm gonna let you bring these back from the interviews, because <laughs> I learned so much. Yeah, it's, it's a never-ending never process of all the knowledge that you're going to learn, and I'm glad that I got to sit down and have that conversation with Conrad. We will be having many more of those. Uh, the, the, the years won't go by. It's funny, uh, the parallels of our lives uh, that we, you know, that, that started off in a certain place and have now finally intersected together. Again, finally intersected together again. Uh, I'm happy about it, and you know what? We're going to be seeing and hearing more from conrad in the future on this one 20 bucks says you guys have been texting each other every day since you did that interview and that's cute that's a little girlish but yes Uh (laughs) (laughs) well the red light is blinking we have taken so much uh time over schedule but you know what it's our show we can do whatever we want no okay i'm I'm getting off don't worry uh okay we're producers are 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 chomping at the bit um do you have anything you want to you want to plug before we roll this ride out for the week Listen, you can make sure that you are uh, subscribed over on Spotify, over on iHeartRadio, over on iTunes, over on whatever your on Podbean, whatever your podcast provider is. Make sure that we're there. If we're not there and you just happen to hear this in passing or you're listening to this as a commercial someplace, who knows? I want you to send us a message and say, hey, you're not here and we need to rectify that. Right, because we will be there for all of you uh, and your favorite podcast providers. Um, again, send in those submissions. Let's find out what kind of listener you really are. Are you a law-abiding citizen? Are you a a, a lawsoner? Are you a, a a plebe? Are you you know oh, yeah. who who knows? Right. Let's let's find out from you, because, listen, these sweatshirts and these T-shirts are too good. And I don't know if I want to give them all away. So it better be a good name because you got to represent with that. And we're willing to do that for you. Well, our sponsors uh, want us to to get them out there. So you can't keep them all. Okay, but I can I can. Um, We just got to figure out how. Oh, 
You can also check out all of our other stuff and my other stuff as well over on YouTube at Tid Talk. I do a nice little thing called Tid Talks over there where I get, you know, just sit around and tell some stories of my life. And we're getting into that wrestling stage uh, of my life. So some interesting stories are going to be aboting over there on at Tid Talks. You can follow us on X at The Law Wrestling. You can send us an email uh, to wrestling at gmail.com. I hope I'm remembering all of these things. All of my socials at NotoriousTID on Instagram, on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, other than that, whew, we need an extra five minutes just to get through all of these silly plugs sometimes. We're just going to put up a graphic. Well, and, and, and remember always, you can check out this episode, past episodes, and future episodes over at SundayNightsMainEvent.com or SMNERadio.com. Otherwise, that's it for me this week, Chris. Uh, I know you wanna you wanna leave him with a special little message. What is that, sir? Always remember, ladies and gentlemen, tuck your chin. Thank you for listening to the Law Live Audio Wrestling with Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. You can email any questions or comments to be read on air to thelaw.liveaudiowrestling at gmail.com.